HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating. It's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. folks, here it is. It's What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. This is Katie Kiefer. I'm your host for today's episode. And we're going to be talking today with Samantha Levy, who is the New York State Policy Manager for the American Farmland Trust. She's actually in the studio today, which never happens. I'm here. (laughs) No, it's so great. I almost (laughs) always have to do my interviews on the phone because, frankly, it's really hard to convince people to come out here for 45 minutes, even with Roberta's as an option. Yeah, you come in for pizza. You'd be surprised at how many people cavil at the thought (laughs) But anyway, I don't blame them because it's the middle of their workday. Mm. So that's always a problem. So you guys sent me a press release, and it was really, like, uh, you know, incredibly uh, appreciated because, to be honest with you, while I was away, which I have been for the last month, um, I really hadn't focused on my show at all, uh, although I have did a couple of broadcasts from Madrid. Um, but I wasn't really thinking in terms of what I was going to do when I get back. So then I get this great press release from the American Farmland Trust <laughs> announcing this wonderful new uh, initiative called A New Generation New York. Farmland for a New Generation New York. Yeah. yeah beautiful yeah. idea. Tell us, first of all, tell us about the American Farmland Trust for people who aren't familiar with your organization. Sure. And, um, and what you do there. And then we'll talk about the initiative. Sure. Well, first, I want to thank you so much for having me. That it is a pleasure. pleasure to be here in the studio watching people eat their pizza. So uh, American Farmland Trust is a national farmland conservation organization. 
are, we're a nonprofit. Our mission is to save the land that sustains us. Yeah. And we've got a national office in D.C. and field offices around the country, New York being one of them. Yep. And um, so we basically take a holistic approach to our mission, protecting farmland, keeping farmers on the land because you need the land and you need the people yeah. to work the land. Right. And then helping farmers adopt sound farming practices. And here in New York, we also work on um, building markets for farms, farmers to sell into so that they're sure. able to stay viable, you know, have access to higher value markets, um, particularly farm to institution. Yes. Oh, that's a, that's a great topic to discuss. We're going to get there. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So you're. Uh, so you guys just rolled out another sort of new initiative. Although this is not really that new in the sense that you guys have been trying to keep farmers on their land as well as bringing new farmers into agriculture. Um, and so, as as we have discussed on this show many times, one of the biggest barriers to new farmers is land acquisition or leasing land even. So talk about what this initiative is and yeah. how you're helping people. Sure, uh, thanks. So this, um, this program, Farmland for New Generation New York, is actually modeled off of a regional program that mm -hmm. we've been coordinating along with our partners in the Hudson Valley and um, down into New York City for the last four years. Right. Called the Hudson Valley FarmLink Network. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So um, it's the same model. It's a resource center, so a website with, uh, you know, a land link. So farmers can put profiles up if they're looking for land. Uh, landowners or retiring farmers can put a property up if they're looking for a farmer. And... Um, and then uh, a first point of contact on American Farmland Trust's staff for farmers or landowners who are looking for resources or more information or to help guide them to their next steps. Or, you know, we're familiar with the people who are on the site. So right. often um, our staff will hear, you know, a, a property owner will come onto the site and they'll be like, you know, I actually know of a farmer who uh, who's good. For that, so right. um, it's really this human element—the the people who know the people, <laughs> yeah—who uh, who I think um, that makes this kind of program more successful than a traditional land link that's like a Match.com. <laughs> Sometimes we say uh, <laughs> that this is not Match.com for farmers; it's Match.com with a yenta. You know, it's the matchmaker who knows the parties and can bring them together. Oh, interesting! Yeah. So the other piece, uh, besides the resource center, is the network of regional navigators, which is right. the press release that you That's got. Right. Um, so it's in the, in the Hudson Valley. It's been sixteen partner organizations including Grow NYC, Land Trust, Cornell Cooperative Extension offices, mm -hmm. all working together along with AFT, one-on-one -on -one with farmers and landowners, you know, with their regional knowledge to help bring farmers onto the land. Right, right. And I saw that um, when I, you sent me a piece of paper that, that explained sort of who, who was getting, there was $170,000 in play here. Yes. So who's getting that money and what they're going to do with that money. And it seems like what most of that money is about is really um, matching, not so much uh, acquisition in the traditional sense, but matching leaseholders with leasees. And I, 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 that's kind of an interesting aspect of agriculture now that is... Uh, you know, makes it sort of sort of more flexible in some ways and also is quite troubling in other ways. And I, I wondered if you could sort of talk about what those what those issues are and sure, why. Sure. So uh, 
So now this program, that, which is statewide, which was part of this uh, big announcement, we launched Farmland for New Generation New York in October of last year mm -hmm. um, in partnership with the state of New York. This is funded by the state of New York. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, thanks to the governor and working with the legislature as yep. well yep. Um, to include funding for this in the state budget. Um, so your question was about the troubling issues with um, tenure, basically. With owning land versus mm -hmm. leasing land. Sure. Yeah, because most young farmers cannot afford to buy land. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, so I would say that our regional navigators who are working now statewide to bring farmers onto the land all across New York State, Long Island, North Country, Western yep. New York, Finger Lake, Southern Tier, all over the state, um, they're working with farmers, helping them acquire land if they're able to purchase, but then, of course, also on leasing. And I'll point to um, one specific example. Uh, there's a land trust in the Hudson Valley called Columbia Land Conservancy, uh -huh. who's been working a lot on this issue of farmland affordability. They're thinking about um, or they're using um, uh, basically... Uh, adding language to their easements when they protect farmland to ensure affordability and uh -huh. to make sure that that land, if it's protected, goes to another farmer. So this is why land trusts are an important piece of this equation, um, and that can enable a new farmer to buy a property. Right. Um, but then they're also working, and a number of other organizations in the network are working on things like ground leases, uh, so that farmers are able to lease um, for a longer period of time, maybe right. a 30-year ground lease rather than a one to five-year lease. Right, right. And, you know, that brings up the, you know, when we talk about affordability of land, um, so when an older farmer wants to retire, he wants to maybe cash in. And that's a difficult thing to tell somebody, like, with the best heart in the world. Yep. You're retiring, and, you know, you're going to want to get the dollars that you deserve for your agricultural land. And so, sure. so that's where, I mean, that's where the rubber really meets the road, I think, because it's so hard to balance the trying to keep the land in the agriculture and yet making sure that those people who've been working in agriculture, which is such a hard job anyway, are getting the money that everybody else is able to get when Absolutely. they sell off a piece of land. You're hitting the nail on the head yeah. as to why this is such a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And in New York State, one in three farmers are over the age of 65. To right. say nothing of the fact that only between one and two percent of our, you know, state residents are farming. That's right. So uh, a large number will be retiring soon. Yes. And they our our research shows that they own or operate two million acres wow. of farmland in the state, and that's out of 7.3 million acres total. Wow. So that wow. is a significant a very large number of acreage that's going to be changing hands within the next right. decade. Right. And to your question, this is why, you know, Farmland for New Generation New York is a program to really help farmers um, have access to the services that are going to enable them to find the right property, mm -hmm. an affordable property that has good access to markets, that has the right soil types, the right housing situation. Right. You know, because the regional navigators across the state, they know about the properties in their area. And right. that's why we believe this partnership approach is really the way to bring a new generation of farmers onto the land, work with retiring farms, uh, farmers on succession planning. But the other piece of this 
is actually the Farmland Protection Program. Uh huh. So since 1996, the state of New York's been investing in um, protecting farms, basically forever from development. Right. That brings the price down for um, you know those who want to buy the, a protected piece of property because some of those rights are restricted. Oh, right. So they can't then turn around and develop they, exactly, it in any way or build exactly. a resort or they have to prove farm income to make. Yeah. So I'll, I'll actually use an example here. Uh, there's a, a, f- a farm couple in Rensselaer County, uh-huh. which is sort of northern Hudson Valley, close to Albany, close to Troy. Um, Zach and Annie Metzger, and they own Laughing Earth Farm. They moved here from Chicago uh-huh. looking for a farm property. And they, they came here. They worked a little bit, um, looked for the right property. They spoke with uh, these farm owners of this property. Uh, and they said to them, you know, we really like this place. How much? We're just we're interested in buying a farm. They told them the number. And Zach and Annie were like, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, but what was really excellent is they were connected with the Agricultural Stewardship Association, which mm-hmm. is a land trust that works in Washington and Rensselaer counties to protect farmland, to make sure that, you know, we've we've got a strong uh, history of farming in those areas that we're going to continue to be able to farm in those areas. They right. do excellent work. And they have a lot of experience protecting farms and they they were you know, working with Zach and Annie as a part of the Hudson Valley Farm Link Network to help them find a property. And they said, let us talk to the farmers, talk to them about protecting their land. They were able to protect their farm yeah, and add an additional restriction called a preemptive purchase right, where uh, basically now forever this farm is going to be protected and it's also going to always need to be sold to a farmer. Right. So the land trust, essentially what that means is the farmers who were selling the farm, they um, got some money to protect the farm. So they were given an incentive to put their land into that program is what you're saying, a financial incentive. I mean, they were paid for those rights to develop the property and the right to sell the farm to anybody but a farmer. And Zach and Annie, the buyers of that property, agreed. They thought this was something really important. Yes. They they agreed to purchase the property under those conditions, knowing that they will be restricted when they sell the property to the next generation. It's going to need to be a farmer. And they thought that that was an admirable... Uh, public good, basically, right. even though they know that they're going to be restricted when they sell it. Right. So, so they won't be able to cash in with a developer and exactly. make millions of dollars. Exactly. Or should, God forbid, Cuomo change his mind on fracking or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but then uh, the, the beauty of this program is that the farmers were able to retire and they got the payment for those development rights and Zach and Annie were able to uh, afford to purchase the property. So it's sort of Bridge that gap. I see. I see. Okay. Yes. Now I understand it. You know, I think Rhode Island, where I'm from, is kind of running a similar sort of, or they're searching for similar uh, ways out of this very same conundrum, which is an aging farming population and how to preserve uh, agricultural land. Because agriculture has become kind of a a driver, an economic driver for Rhode Island after many years of not being, even though the dairy business, as it is up in upstate New York, Mm -hmm. is, is collapsing. Um, 
there are other younger people who are coming in and doing really animal ag, like, you know, to sell good meat into farmer's markets and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so, exciting what's it, happening. Well, it is. I mean, I'm, it's nice to hear good news for a change, you know? <laughs> I mean, really, it's. I've been doing this for a long time now. Uh, we're In fact, Heritage is celebrating its 10th anniversary this wow. year. And I've been here since then. Like, I started, I think, in March or April. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It's been a great joy (laughs) and pleasure uh, to me because, um, frankly, I have wonderful guests like yourself, and I have learned an unbelievable amount about um, agriculture and policy and you know, just kind yeah, of like, exciting. yeah, I've got one of those, you know, sponge like squirrel in a cage <laughs> minds that you know constantly <laughs> needs to be fed. Um, and this has really done that for me. So I, you know, speaking of Rhode Island, I wanted to ask if you were aware of other sort of similar initiatives, either through uh, AFT, American Farmland Trust, or through other NGOs that are happening, say in the big, uh, you know, grain belt states, for example. I mean, what's going to happen out there? Are those all big agribusinesses now where it's not so much of a succession issue? Or I know that there's going to be about almost 100 million acres turning over in the next five or six years. I learned that from um, uh, who was that wonderful woman, Lindsay from Yeah, from uh, Young National Farmers, Young Farmers yeah, Coalition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we work alongside them on I'm a lot of sure these issues. Um, yeah, it's a big issue nationally. Globally. Globally, yes. Well, as I was saying to you before the show, I was in Spain for a month and I interviewed several activists who were trying to... um, How interesting. Oh, push back on on, uh, the growth of industrialized uh, Mm -hmm. hog farming there, which Mm -hmm. is because Spain has now taken the third place in the the EU as the biggest hog exporter uh, in the European Union. So they they are now right behind Germany and the Netherlands. Uh, Sorry, Germany and Spain. Not Italy, no. Surprising. Uh, They don't eat as much pork. I mean, the Spanish are... You have to become a Hamanarian to live in Spain. I mean, I'm not kidding you. (laughs) It's like, that is the major... That is the national food there, is ham. It's Iberian ham in all of its many, many, many permutations, forms, quality levels. I mean, it's just astonishing. I mean, they have a... I mean, we digress. I told you this would happen, but but just so you know... They have a chain called the Museo de Jamón, okay? And there are something like 19 different types of, you know, they look like, it looks like prosciutto, right? It's a a salt-cured, dry-cured ham. There's at least 19 varieties. And they range from, you know, just kind of, you know, okay, like pretty, like like prosciutto, basically, um, all the way up to the the creme de la creme, which is the black-footed Iberico pig that's fed on acorns. That's called bellota. And and that only comes from one particular part of Spain. And it is actually, there is a sweetness to it, which I could not identify. And the guy informed me that it was literally because of the acorns. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Okay, anyway. But that, um, but that being said, uh, it used to be that they grew, you know, a pig for every human being in Spain, right? Wow. But now they have something like tripled mm. their output uh, because they are exporting, especially to the Chinese. They have huge contracts with China, hmm. and because the Chinese love Iberico, Iberico pork, that hmm. breed of pig is very good. Well, that breed of pig doesn't survive in confinement, so they now crossbreed it with Duroc pigs, which are much better for they can handle confinement and they're much better pig than we use in this country. The big, large white pig, which mm. is, you know, what is it, Landrace in Yorkshire or something like that. It's not that great. Anyway, but that's the ham story there. So that's why I was talking to these activists, because these giant pig farms are springing up around Spain. 
and they bring all of the terrible problems that we have seen in North Carolina, Iowa, and across mm-hmm. the country in terms mm-hmm. of pollution and and environmental issues. But let's let's go back to this um, situation in the states, in the various states of the United States. Oh yes, what You're are people <laughs> other? <laughs> what are they doing to manage? See, I told you we would digress like I, that I, if I don't have an outline. I I'm could done. talk about ham all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about pork. Yes, me too. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> especially for eating it. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what? Let's take a sponsor drop before we get back into this. Perfect timing. Yeah. Matt, are you there? Is he in there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do our little sponsor drop now, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about sort of national initiatives. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Lisa Held, and I'm the host of The Farm Report here on HRN. The Farm Report is a show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Expect from the field insights as guests explore how producing fresh, delicious food relates to environmental and community sustainability, justice, and better health. You can find The Farm Report wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Okay. Well then, let me put my headphones back on and organize myself. Uh, This is um, What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, if you didn't catch that at the beginning of the show. Although why you would listen to this without knowing that, I don't know. But anyway, it seems professional to say that. And my guest today is Samantha Levy from the American Farmland Trust. We're talking about um, what the American Farmland Trust is doing in terms of partnering with other NGOs uh, to assure the succession of farmers. Because as their slogan, I think it's your slogan that says, no farmers, no food. Is that you guys? No farms, no food. No but farms, it could no be food. no farmers, no food, too. I mean, definitely. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, just to expand outwards from New York State, where obviously the government is behind this 100%, or at least somewhat. We're working on getting funding again this year. <laughs> I bet you are. Well, I mean, you have to, but it sounds like Cuomo has been pretty sympathetic to this. He's uh, um, put a lot of energy into farmland protection. That's been really incredible. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. 
And what about so? What about other governors? Are you are you seeing that in your in the various regional offices of AFT? Are you seeing the same level of engagement um, with other state legislators? Such a timely question. Um, (laughs) I I wish that I had the answer just yet, um, but I'll I'll plug for a moment that American Farmland Trust is going to be releasing the uh, second stage of our Farms Under Threat report. So we just put out a report last year um, uh, basically about the state of farmland loss across the country and found that we lose three acres a minute, more than we originally thought. Oh, my Lord. How did I miss this? I can't believe I didn't have you guys on for that. I'll I'll be sure to send it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So so our second iteration of this um, research initiative is a state level policy look down basically at, mm-hmm. at, you know, how are states doing comparatively on farmland protection? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, farmland protection is really a key element, I think, to this transition to the next generation. Absolutely. Um, in terms of other programs to provide the kinds of services that farmers, both, you know, farm seekers and retiring farmers need or landowners really to make their property available sure. to a farmer, um, I, I can't think of any other examples that are pairing a land link with, you know, one-on-one hands-on guidance and support the way that ours is. Wow. Um, though I will say that American Farmland Trust, our national uh, team, has a farmland uh access um, curriculum where we're basically training organizations across the United States on how to help farmers access land. Um, And there are land links across the state, uh, though. And I think that Lisa Held was just on uh, plugging her show. She actually wrote an article um, for Civil Eats recently about land links and um, wrote a little bit about the Hudson Valley Farm Link Network. Um, So, you know, I would really like to plug this dual hands on human approach. Uh, Of course, it takes funding. You know, it takes time. It takes staff time. That takes money. Yeah. Um, And a lot of these organizations that are working on this are nonprofits. Right. And in New York State, we're partnering with a a number of nonprofit organizations, land trusts, agricultural organizations, Cornell Cooperative Extension offices, Mm -hmm. you know, those that really have their finger on the pulse Mm -hmm. of farming in their communities to bring a new generation onto the land. Yeah. Well, what would we do without you guys? Let me ask you this. Um, I, one of the things that I've read, and I've heard this from young far- from older farmers uh, who have, for instance, mentored or worked with young farmers, and and they they find that a lot of young farmers can't really go the distance for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, part of that is land access. Um, part of it is that you don't can't get a long enough lease, so that's a big issue. Um, but part of it is also like trying to figure out how to access markets if you're not growing on a big scale. Sure. Um, and then, of course, there's the um, incredibly, brutally hard 365, 24-7 schedule uh, that farmers have to adhere to in order to make their farming successful. And um, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, what, what do you see, you know, as you guys engage with young farms, farmers who are coming onto land, uh, you know, say in the last two, three, four years, are you, are you seeing them able to, like, make a go of it? Or do you see land coming back up, you know, to find a new, a new home or rather a new partner? 
Yeah, so I can't speak to any analysis of, you know, kind of farmers that we've matched with land from mm -hmm. our perspective. But, you know, I'll, I think that you bring up a lot of good points in that, um, you know, it's access to land, it's access to capital, it's student debt, it's affordable health care. You know, there are a lot oh, of different right. um, pieces to this puzzle that um, really will make the on-ramp easier for farmers. You know, I've heard um, Commissioner Ball, the commissioner of the Department of Agriculture and Markets, um, along with, you know, older farmers say the barriers that new and young farmers face now mm -hmm. didn't exist when I started. Wow. So it is really going to take a lot of work and effort to really help um, farmers establish themselves, not just in the short term, but to make, have a successful career in farming. Yeah. And I was recently speaking to um, the land access director at the National Young Farmers Coalition, Holly, and uh, she was talking about Farmland for New Generation as a program that will really help farmers um, find the right property and secure the right tenure because they have support from those that can help them negotiate leases you know, find the right soil types, as I mentioned, all the different elements that will right. make a more successful farm when you get started, somebody who really can bring you clarity. Yeah. And, um, and can they the way bring she... you a tractor too? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, because I Probably mean, that's got to be a huge issue, you know, right there, your farm equipment is hugely costly. Right. Yeah. So, there's a lot of sharing going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was wondering how farmers manage that, actually, especially somebody who's just getting into the business. I mean, you have to have a minimum capital, you know, purse of at least one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars just to get your basic infrastructure in place. Right. Yeah, I think um, like upfront loans. Um, I, I don't know as much about the access to capital side, right. but uh Certainly, that's an important piece of this, an important piece of the puzzle. We focus more on the land piece, being right. American Farm Land Trust. Yeah. Um, but a lot of our partners work with other um, funding organizations that have uh, kind of progressive forward thinking funding structures to help farmers access the capital that they need to really start up. Yeah. And, the, you know, the state has some programs um, that uh, some loan programs that um help farmers uh, with that as well. The state's also investing in um, some education programs, but you know, it's a lot of word of mouth. It's a lot of community building. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what about cooperatives? Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we know that the, uh, you know, the dairy, the big dairy co-op is not, has not served its constituency well. Um, but I know that, for instance, in upstate New York, there's a big beef cooperative that I think has done very well by its farmers. How do you guys interface with those co-ops or do you encourage the building of those cooperative things so that people can do things like share equipment or borrow a piece of land if they need to grow extra, you know, crop for feed or something like that? Is there is there that part of is that part of your program as well? I wish that uh, I knew more about cooperatives. I'm sorry. Yeah, I keep no, asking it's okay. You questions like off the, you know, out of left field here. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, please. I, I mean, I'll I'll share with you what I know and tell you yeah. um, where where holes in my uh, knowledge base lie. But um, you know, I think that uh, part, as I mentioned, you know, maybe this is a good time to talk about farm to institution. Oh yeah, a little right. bit different yes. than sharing equipment, but um, you know, building 
really viable markets for farmers to sell into, Mm -hmm. there is an aggregation aspect to that. Yes, I would think so. I mean, what, because obviously one farmer is not going to grow enough, you know, beets for 50,000 students. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about like, for instance, my daughter went to UMass for a while and they have a great farm to table program. And they, I mean, they're serving uh, something like 45,000 meals a day. So they need more than one, two, or three farms. Yeah, and think about New York City. We're here yeah. in New York City. New York City School Food, um, that's not their office name anymore, but I can't think of what it is. It's like the Office of Food and Nutrition Services. Um, they serve, you know... I think it's 800,000 meals a day. Yeah, and spend... Something like that. You know, millions of dollars. What they usually say is... Uh, this is really shocking that they are the second largest institutional buyer of food in the United States behind the Department of Defense. Whoa. Incredible, no right? Way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So so we were involved. We uh, um, coordinate a coalition of all kinds of different organizations. New York City is a part of it mm-hmm. called the called New York Grown Food for New York Kids. Right. And, you know, the governor last year um, put forward the No Student Goes Hungry initiative to incentivize K through 12 schools to buy more New York grown food. Right. That's been a long, long battle. We used to have a wonderful program on called Inside School Food uh, with Laura Stanley, who you may have known. She was at the Sylvia Center for a long Mm. time. And she did a great job of sort of showing, showcasing the various problems with um, school purchasing of local products because... You know, they put out these bids to contract, you know, these, yeah, bids for contracts, mm-hmm. and they don't always put them out to a New York State farmer before, say, for instance, they were used to be buying apples from Washington State when we have a huge apple industry in New yeah. York State. And for some reason that wasn't, you know, now it's changed, but it was really, it took activism to make that work. Yeah, the the school food procurement system is not set up to be sensitive to sourcing. Right. It's set up to be sensitive to price. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically schools put out their bids and or, or they put out a request for um, bids from right. vendors or contractors and the and they get answered and they they're basically legally required to choose the least expensive, most responsive vendor for the bids that they put out. Now there have been, as you pointed out, a lot of, there's been a lot of legal movement, you know, they're able to do uh, geo-preferencing where um, they can specify that they're able to go, I don't know, something like 5% over the price of the lowest um, Uh if the vendor can, you know, provide documentation that they're sourcing from a certain geographical area, if that's important um, to the school. Uh, but I think that this uh, ini- this incentive um, to basically what happened was in last year's budget, the governor and the legislature worked together to put funds in there to incentivize K through 12 schools to buy more New York grown food. Wow. So if they spend 30 percent of their lunch budget on food from New York farmers, growers, producers or processors, they get four times the reimbursement from the state per meal. So that's a real incentive. Yes. So it's because I think it costs like ninety seven or ninety eight. I mean, only ninety seven cents of two hundred of two dollars and eighty seven cents or something like that is is actually from the food itself. The rest of it is just kind of middlemen. So that's right. a, that's a huge change, yeah. sea change in the the math that they do to make these 
program. Yeah, for. and this this um, reimbursement that the state provides, the per meal reimbursement, the federal government puts in a sizable amount of money, depending on you know two dollars, over a little over two dollars to below two dollars, depending uh-huh. on um, what the student is paying for the meal. But the state, their reimbursement has been. cents prior to this for the last 40 years. So this is the first increase in 40 years, essentially. And um, it's just breathtaking. Yeah. So now it's if schools spend 30% of their lunch budget on food from New York farms, they get 25 cents per meal. Yeah. So it is an incredible incentive. Um, So building markets for farmers that are maybe a little bit higher value than commodity markets or, you know, just basically having another outlet for farmers to sell into. They're able to diversify their business. Right. And this is another way to keep them viable, keep them farming past the one to five year mark. Right, right, right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to cut us off here so that we don't lose. Uh- <laughs> But Samantha, thank you very much for coming in. And uh, now is your moment to promote American Farmland Trust and what you do uh, shamelessly. Tell us all about your website, how <laughs> oh, people yeah. can contribute, uh, learn more about what you're doing, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, well, I'll say that the Farmland for New Generation New York program, um, which launched in October, and now we we have these regional navigators that have been funded with this $170,000, they're now all across the state. They are ready and willing to help aspiring farmers, retiring farmers, landowners looking for a farmer, um, you know, pretty much anywhere in New York. Um, so I would suggest visiting nyfarmlandfinder.org to uh, learn more. To find, you know, if you want to post a profile, if you're if you have a farm dream and you're <laughs> looking for property, um, if you're uh, if you're a farmer who's ready to retire, I suggest getting in touch with American Farmland Trust or um, one of the regional navigators that are now listed on the website. I'll also mention, because um, I didn't get a chance to, that Grow NYC is one of the regional That's navigators. Right. So, you know, there's there's a, an organization within New York City, if you're in New York City, but certainly all across the state. Right. And, and one more thing I wanted to bring up, which we didn't discuss, but part of this um, program is your outreach towards immigrants, people of color, refugees, yep. um, you know, just people who are essentially underserved and, and there is part of this program initiative is geared toward that population. Yeah, I so appreciate you bringing that up. I thought um, that was a big deal for yeah. me. I thought that was a really interesting aspect of the program. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so in our application process to become a regional navigator, this was a strong consideration for applicants. Um, if they could demonstrate that they're working with underserved populations. Mm-hmm. Um, Grow NYC is a great example through their Farm Roots program, um, which is geared towards immigrants and helping immigrants find, you know, set up a successful farm and find land in New York uh, to start, you know, maybe they were farming in the country that they came from. Right. And they bring this experience and knowledge. And um, I'll also um, highlight Groundswell Center for Food and Farming, which right. is uh, near Ithaca, New York, in Tompkins County. They're working specifically with people of color, addressing the barriers that that um, people of color specifically face when they're um, looking to set up a farm. And now they're going to be working on farmland access because mm-hmm. they've become a regional navigator. And other Cornell Cooperative Extension offices who are working with indigenous populations, outreach to them and to help them find land to farm. 
And as you mentioned, um, helping refugees resettle and find land, because I mean, what could be more healing than that? Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. And plus, you know, we add to the the um, cultural repertoire, I guess, for lack of a better word, of what we're growing in Absolutely. New York and, you know, then what we're eating as well. And yep. and those people who, you know, maybe came from those countries, then they have the culturally appropriate foods that they, um, you know, maybe grew up eating. And as you know, food can be much food more than a, just it's yes. a... <laughs> There's a lot. It's our, <laughs> it's it. our unifying. Uh, I think Jessica B. Harris said it best. It's the lingua franca of our into- of the global population. Everyone has to eat, and we all enjoy breaking bread together. Yeah, so. and no farms, no food. No so, farms, no food. You know, I guess I'll also say that we are a membership organization, so folks can donate to American Farmland Trust if you support right. our work. Um, to help support our work, our website is farmland.org, yep. and you can find out more information, become a member. You can sign up for action alerts. You'll get emails from me telling you <laughs> when there are interesting state policies that are coming up. Um, since I work specifically in New York State, but on things like farmland protection, access, farm to institution, and climate as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sign up for our, our emails and yeah. we'll keep you up to date on what's going on. And stay focused on what really matters, which is eating good food. Let's yeah. Face it. Yeah. And I guess the first thing that I would say is when you sit down to eat, just take a moment and thank a farmer. Remember that so this true. came from somebody actually putting their hands in the dirt or, you know, raising an animal and that um, it's important to just really keep this connection to farms and um, yeah. And keep them going and And keep them going. Support legislation that supports farms. I mean, that's really what the, what the population at large can do best is write to your congressman, write to your local reps and say, this is what I care about. And this is where I want to see, you know, our state moving forward on programs like this. Yeah. And particularly now between January and April in New York state, that's when our budget is negotiated, the state budget. So Uh if you support programs that supports farms in New York state, Follow along on Facebook with us. Follow along on our Twitter. We're posting action alerts between January and April about some of the policies that I talked about today and more. Um, so you can keep up to date. We can let you know when it's really important to take action. Yeah. And uh, appreciate people being involved. Absolutely. Samantha, thank you so much for joining me yeah, today. Yeah, thank you, really Katie. Great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll be back. Absolutely. You'll be back because we'll, we'll talk more about what's going on at the American Farmland Trust. I'd like to do like a regular thing with you know, reps from all over the country. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my sponsor. And thank you, Matt, for engineering. And we'll see you next week with another great show. I promise. See you then. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com backslash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.